Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And we're going to be joined by a special guest tonight. is Arm Layton from Just Baseball coming on to talk about his website's new top 100 prospects list, which features eight Orioles. We're also going to get a little bit deeper into the Orioles system and look at some of the prospects that have performed well this season. But first, as we like to do at the top of every episode, we have a few new members to welcome to our Patreon community. I'll turn it over to Bob to do the honors. Yeah, it looks like we have one uh, new one, Jake Hallett. So yeah, thank you for signing up at the double A level, Jake. And, uh, Jake Razik as well. I can't remember if I said your name on the last episode, so I'll say it again. Two Jakes. Why not? Less than Jake. Can't have it. Absolutely. And as a reminder, you can sign up for our Patreon community for as little as $3 a month. We also offer seven-day free trials we can sign up for as well. See if you want to test it out before committing to three, five, or $10 levels. And with that, now I'll introduce our tonight's guest. He is the co-founder and executive editor for, of Just Baseball. You can also hear him as the co-host of the Just Baseball show as well as the call-up podcast. He is Arm Layton. Arm, how are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate and have enjoyed uh, everything you all have done to cover the best farm system in baseball. So excited to talk about the best farm system in baseball with y'all. It's still so weird to hear that. As a yeah. lifetime Orioles fan, we've never yeah. been in competition for that discussion. And now to like have the best prospect in baseball three years in a row and be winning on the majors and the minors, it's uh, surreal. So, yeah. I guess we'll start here with the guy that has attracted the most attention this season, who is Jackson Holiday. He's now number number one on just baseball's top 100 prospect list, and most national outlets now have him at the top of their top 100. What does that say, not only about his progression over the course of this season, but his long-term outlook? I mean, it's been unbelievable what, what he's been able to do, and I know you guys have probably covered it you know, a ton in terms of just – 
not only being able to respond to every challenge that's been thrown his way, but also, you know, exceeding expectations at every single stop. I think the most impressive thing about him, because, you know, we knew he was a polished player for a high school kid. Uh, we knew that there was, you know, a lot to like there in the game. But I think what, what, what's been already more than evident is, you know, just how much upside is there as well. You know, I don't even think we've seen him tap into, you know, the kind of power that he will ultimately have. And I always talk about like his baby face and like, I just shaved for the first time in a long time. So I've got the baby face right now too, but like, he's got it on a different level where it's like, you know, that there's just so much more like physical maturation that's going to come. And you look at his body, like there's more strength that's going to come too. I mean, like, look at his pops, his pops is a big dude, but the crazy thing about Jackson holiday is if he didn't add a single pound of strength, which is uh, almost impossible to happen, he's still the best prospect in baseball, right? So it's like, it's this balance of high floor. And you mentioned the long-term outlook of high ceiling where the field to hit the elite approach, he's running a sub 20% chase rate and just the overall feel for the game. I just can't wait to watch this kid continue to develop. He's 19. And is it possible that he's a better prospect than Adley Rutschman or Gunnar Henderson were at the time they were the number one prospects in baseball? Oh, that's a fun question. <laughs> that's a fun question. I think Adley is was in this like unique, unique spot where it's like switch hitting catcher with the defense that comes with it, where it's a little bit of apples to oranges, but at the same time, he was older. I mean, we're talking like a handful of years older than Jackson Holiday. So I think you can make the case that by because he's not giving up number one anytime soon, unless unless somebody turns into an absolute alien. Jackson Holiday's not giving up number one. I think in the next six to eight months, early parts of next year, I think you can make the case that he's, you know, better, probably the best Orioles prospect we've, we've seen, um, you know, as he kind of solidifies the legend that is becoming Jackson Holiday. Nice. I really like what you said there about uh, even if he were to not gain another pound of muscle, that he's still the top prospect in baseball, because that's actually a comment that I know we've touched on before. And we get a lot of from Orioles fans that are concerned about like the ground ball rate or he's not showing enough over the fence power yet, which mm-hmm. I mean, he's mastered the Baltimore chop down there in the lower levels of the minor leagues. That's for sure. But I- I'm glad you you pointed that out. Uh, but looking ahead, like here's another debate that a lot of Orioles fans are having right now, especially with some recent buzz. What do you think a realistic timetable is for Holiday to debut in the majors? Because it feels like his performance is making 2024 a realistic target, maybe opening day. But now there's more speculation that 2023 could happen. Do you think that's a possibility? I've been, t- I've been seeing that. And, you know, so there's some things with Holiday. I'm a, I'm a big swing nerd. And anyone that listens to, like, the call-up will see that. And, I mean, one of my favorite things to do. And we actually had an awesome breakdown with, with Kobe Mayo, um, who – I mean, it was just, it's so fun to be able to, you know, pick the brain of guys that really, you know, understand it and and can teach me things as well. And Kobe was one of those guys just being able to pick his brain on that. But you'll get Jackson Holiday, like his swing is extremely advanced and and he's, you know, way ahead of his peers. But there's some small things that I think kind of contribute to that ground ball rate. Like I'm sure it's well documented. People talk about how the front side leaves a little bit, but you know, he holds, he's so athletic. His hip mobility is so impressive without getting too deep in the weeds. Like he's able to still hold it and, and get off good swings. But I think that's something that would get exposed a little bit more if he got sent to the big leagues where, you know, guys are going to be running 99 and on the hands. Like, I don't think this is something that, you know, you want to just rush him into. Could he probably tread water there? Absolutely. But we're talking about a kid that's on a fast track already that if you told me he would be here six months ago, I 
you know, I, I maybe would be like, wow, everything went perfect, but I would have had trouble believing it. Um, so, you know, I think we almost like we realign our sights and recalibrate very quickly in this industry. And I think fans, especially where it's like, if I told you that he'd be in double A at this point, six months ago, you'd say that's crazy. Now we already forgot about that. And we're looking at him in double A and saying, Oh, he should be in the big league soon. Like, I think that would be a bit much, especially when you have a Joey Ortiz doing what he's doing. Like, I, I do think that at this present moment, a Joey Ortiz is more equipped to help the Baltimore Orioles than a Jackson holiday. And that is not an indictment on Jackson holiday. That's the fact that he is, he can't drink a beer legally for over a, a year and a half. And you know, there's defensive sides of things that the game gets quick on you. The game can be quick on the bases. It's a different kind of, of beast just offensively. Like, that's a lot to put him into when he's already, I think, out kicking any coverage that anybody thought he'd be able to, you know, to, to perform against. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. Joey Ortiz, man, if he was in any other system right now, he'd be playing every day shortstop, like just making his case be known. And uh, yeah, I think maybe next spring training, depending on how the offseason goes, if he adds some of that strength and just continues to refine, look, he's already improved so much so far. Maybe oh, yeah. spring training next year, he can make a case to try to get that rookie of the year draft pick. 100%. But switching gears to uh, an older player, but still a first round draft pick. Now that he's healthy, Heston Kerstad has soared back into the top 100 rankings. What does his profile look as a player? And do you see him more as a first baseman or a corner outfielder long term? Ooh, yeah. So I'll start with the bat because, of course, that's going to be the value when we're talking about a corner outfielder or a first baseman. And I mean, this is a this is a guy that, you know, I, I've just really fallen in love with it, with the offensive game. Um, you know what he's been able to do in terms of making up for lost time, given everything that he is he has been through uh, since basically the second the ink dried is absolutely unbelievable. Like it, this is a guy where you throw age out the window in terms of like professional baseball age. He's 21, 22. He had 800 plus days between, you know, his final collegiate game and, you know, his first professional game. I, I think this is a guy that is as safe of an offensive profile as you're going to find. I'd like to see him cut down on the chase a little bit. He's aggressive, but it's like one of those things where I, I say the same thing with Pete Crow Armstrong. How do you, how are you going to tell a guy that's hitting 300 with power to swing less? Like, it's really hard to do that. And of course, once you get to the big leagues, if you run into some trouble, there's a very easy solution, right? Let's get a little bit more selective. I don't see that bad swing decisions or anything like that. The power is really impressive. I mean, we're talking about a 90th percentile exit velocity of 106, but you combine that with the field to hit above average contact rates. I mean, there's just so much to like with the offensive profile. I think he's a better athlete than he gets credit for. And I think he's a good corner outfielder. I really believe the only reason that they're playing him at first a little bit is, you know, I th we didn't know that Ryan Mountcastle was going to, you know, overcome the vertigo and, you know, turn out to go on this heater that he's been on. I've always loved Mountcastle, but there was some questions there, right? And you also have a lot of outfielders, and I think it just gives you another wrinkle here with Kirstad. But I think he's very capable in a corner um, and very capable of playing first base as well. And that versatility is only, you know, of help. But I don't think it's because he can't play a corner or anything like that. I thought he was you know, pretty solid out there. And who knew Ryan O'Hearn was going to be productive <laughs> at all? Trouble in paradise. <laughs> Do you see that strikeout? Because that's been the biggest thing, I think, for the three of us that stood out is the lack of swing and miss, really, or the, mm -hmm. the low strikeout rate, at least. Do you see that when he gets up to the major leagues? Do you see that possibly taking a big jump? Or is this a guy who you think is going to continue to kind of defy those expectations with the low strikeout rate? 
Yeah, you know, it's, it's an excellent question mm-hmm. because that this is somebody that you know when I saw him in the Arizona Fall League, um, I, I had some whiff concerns, but I also was like, okay, this guy hasn't played in as long as he has played. Then you see what he's been able to do over the last calendar year, and or a little bit less than that, and it's just it's a totally different look. It's a guy that you know he, he's got moving parts to his swing, and that's always gonna you know raise some red flags, quote unquote, to folks. But I think those moving parts just took a little bit longer to shake the rust off because when you look at the contact rates, once he got back to Heston Kerstad and got back to you know just being a professional athlete again after literally not being able to do not only not hit just not do any physical activity, yeah. uh, you saw this guy that I think has no problem make you know putting bat to ball and and I just watched a series recently you know the entire series against Jacksonville where you know he didn't even light it up but it was just like. The ability to get to tough pitches, the ability to spoil, um, and and also like the barrel, the feel for the barrel is really impressive. I I don't see swing and miss being a big issue in terms of the bat to ball skills. The only thing that I see is is that aggression going to get exposed a little bit more at the big league level, and is that something that they can cut down on? Right, because the chase rates are around thirty five percent. It's a little high. But when you look at the contact rates, they're really good. And you look at the swing, it's really good. You look at the feel for the barrel, it's really good. I don't think punch outs will ever be a major issue for him uh, for a prolonged amount of time. You think he'll be up in September? I would love that. <laughs> I would love we that. Would I, where, 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 here's the problem. I, I love the Orioles. I love the system. They're so much fun. But they're frustrating because it's like, where do these guys fit in? There's several guys that it's, I don't want, we just talked about it on the call up because we're going through the whole top 100 list and we we're just going from 60 to 41. Um, so we talked about Joey Ortiz at the end because he was right around the 42, 43 range. And I'm like, I'm tired of talking about these guys as prospects. And it's like, no disrespect to them. I love them as players, but man, like I'm tired of it. And um, yeah, I guess it depends on the big league side, but I think he's ready. I think he's ready to help if they need it. Yeah. Don't ask us about the Hall. <laughs> I think that um, kind of along the same lines, uh, Kobe Mayo, uh, he started to jump onto the top 100 list of late, but it feels like he may be a little underrated considering his age, uh, his level, the increasing walk rate, and the defense at third base, which is pretty solid. When could he make his major league debut? And you just kind of touched on this with Joey Ortiz and Heston Kerstad, but how in the world are they going to fit him into their lineup? Yeah, you know, I do wonder if there's a little bit less urgency with a Kobe Mayo, given that 2020 draftee, you know, you don't have to rush the, uh, you know, the 40 man ad compared to some of these other guys. There's not as much pressure in that regard. And uh, you can kind of justify it by saying, hey, he's working on his defense. Hey, he's only, you know, 21. All those, all those things that we always hear. But, you know, I think, I do think Mayo needs some more time. This is a kid, though, that I mean, again, the interview, I was floored at how you know mature he is uh, and, and the way he approaches the game and also, you know, his thirst for knowledge and and desire to just get better and better. Watching him in AAA, I think this was like the perfect challenge for him. I think if he was in AA any longer, he would have been feasting. He's shown flashes in AAA. I see him trying trying to yank a little bit too much. And, and that's something that, okay, it's so normal. He's six, five, he's, he's young, he's in triple a, and it was working for him at the, you know, at the lower levels and, and even in double a, uh, but I think there's some refinement to his approach that, that could be had. And I think through an off season and then early into next year, uh, I think we can really see him start to put that all together. Um, I, I think he's underrated as well. He, he's 28th on our top 100 and, and I, I could have justified putting him higher to be honest, uh, 
the the defense, as you mentioned, is improved. He's got a rocket for an arm, and I know he's worked really hard on the footwork. And I don't have to tell you guys about the power, but the field of hit, I think, is the most underrated part of his game for a six foot five kid that you know came straight out of high school, battled injuries last year. You know, was graduated in in the COVID, or excuse me, was drafted in the COVID year. Like, there's a lot of things that you know he's had to deal with, and he's just pretty much flown through it, similar to Heston Kerstad, maybe not as extreme. Um, but I, I don't I don't see as much rush. I think he could use a couple hundred more at bats in AAA um, and continue to refine you know his approach a little bit and 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 using the whole field. But man, this guy offensively, I think could be as good as anybody uh, that in this system. I really do. Uh, it, it's. An absurd combination of power and, and feel to hit. Yeah, I got to shout out that interview as well. I'm going to put it in the show notes for this for anyone listening that wants to check it out because it was fantastic conversation. If you want to just see what's going on with some of these guys head down in the minors, uh, yeah, he knows what he's talking about. And so do you, Aaron. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, let's talk about Colton Kowser now for a moment. Another guy in your top 100 here. We saw him make his big league debut. Had a rough go for a little bit there, but... I think kind of, you know, a lot of these young guys to be expected. He's back in AAA, and I think he's played, I just talked about this on the Daily this morning, what, five, six games, and he has like five hits or seven hits, five walks. He's got a a hit plus in each game, opposite field home run on Sunday. He had a great series this past week. When he gets back up to the major leagues, whether it's this season or next, how differently do you see things going for Colton Kowser in the future here in the major leagues? Yeah, you know, it, it's this is a guy I've I've loved as well, and and I'm not just saying that because I'm on you know I'm on the uh, Orioles show here, I'm on the verge. Like I, I I really this was a guy out of the draft where um, I fell in love with the swing, and then you saw the physical projection here too, and you saw the athleticism, and honestly, I, I didn't think there'd be this much power there. I thought it'd be a little bit you know of that hit. I thought I saw Brandon Nimmo more than I saw this amount of, of power here. And I still kind of see that, you know, he's really patient. He walks a lot. Um, yeah, there's going to be a little bit of whiff, but he's hedged that with vast improvements left on left uh, and, and his athleticism and ability to play all three spots. I thought this was a really good learning opportunity for him at, at the big league level. And, you know, you, you can talk about his offensive struggles and, and things like that, but I thought he, he plugged in and and you know served a role and and was able to you know hold it down defensively and at least get on base a little bit and again I think I think he learned a lot about his swing decisions and how he can improve there and you know I think there was times where velocity just got on him quicker and there's some things that he can adjust with his timing and you know I think that kind of forced him to cheat a little bit on secondary stuff and then you know it starts to unravel when you get in that fight or flight mode a little bit you send him back to AAA and he goes nuts this is a guy that that's 23 that I, I really don't have any big concerns about. And it's funny. You see some fan bases lose their mind. I thought Orioles fans, from what I saw, I mean, you guys get a different pulse. I thought they were very level-headed when it came to Colton Cowser, understanding that, like, you know, he, he probably was ready to get a look, but this was a crazy situation to get thrown into uh, in terms of, like, you know, zero to 100, you're, you're in a race for the best, with the best team in the American League. And I think there was a lot of pressure there. Um I think he's going to be fine. I think he's going to come back and bounce back next year with, you know, a better understanding of, of kind of how to handle big league pitching, uh, especially with the, those, they kind of change up him to death. You know, I'm making up a word there, but he got a lot of change ups as it started to go too. And, you know, that's something that he kind of got away with in triple, right? Crush fastballs, crush breaking wells. How many guys have that good of change ups in the minor leagues In the big leagues, he started to see a lot more. And I think those gave him a little bit more trouble. Um, I think he can find that that adjustment and 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 get to where he needs to be because his swing decisions have always been great. 
One question we've been getting about Kowser pretty much since he entered the system is how he's going to turn out defensively. Now, as long as Cedric Mullins is in center field for the Orioles, Kowser's probably going to have to play a corner. But what is his ultimate defensive profile, and could he play center field in a different situation? Yeah, you know, I think I think it's a similar type of defensive profile to like a like a Kyle Tucker, where if you were to throw him into center field, you wouldn't bat an eye. Like he'd be fine, he'd hold it down. I don't think he'd grade out as an elite defender, but he'd make the plays he needs to make. He's athletic enough, probably get better and better. And and I, I think for the cer- for certain teams he'd be their everyday center fielder. I, I look at the Miami Marlins; they'd have no problem running him out there in center field every single day. But when you have options that are you know impactful defensively, I, I don't know how impactful Kowser would be in center field. I think in left or in right, he's he's a, an above average defender. I think in center field, he's an average defender, which I think is is great. You have a guy that can play center in a pinch, and I think you know hold it down in a more than fine manner out there. But I think when you have options, you mentioned Cedric Mullins, you know, there's other guys that could potentially play out there. There's a chance that it makes more sense for Kowser to play above average defense and left. But I think he can be an average defender in center. I, I thought his reads and his routes have continued to get better. I think the arm is pretty strong and I, he just looks pretty comfortable out there. I, I To me, he looks, he looks like he's a guy that might even be a little bit more comfortable with the reads in center from time to time. A lot of people are. Um, but I think he could be more than fine and left. I think Bob froze there. Yeah. Oh, yeah because of it. <laughs> All right. All right so. I'll take Bob's thing. Uh, Jordan Westberg, we're just keep moving down to the top 100 here to begin with, but Jordan Westberg, we've seen him up in the major leagues. Talking about Joey Ortiz. I know we're talking about Joey Ortiz too in a minute, but I, I thought Joey Ortiz would be the guy up here getting everyday major league at bats first, but it's Westberg. He surprisingly, though, has not had a big slump since he was promoted. Uh, he he did have this big adjustment period at each stop in the minor leagues. So we kind of thought maybe a little bit more swing and miss. We're going to see him struggle when he got up, but we haven't seen that yet. The defense has been better than expected. Do you think he could be a long-term piece here for the Orioles, or do you think this is a guy who, if you're the Orioles, you dangle him out there and you trade offers this offseason to get that big-time starting pitcher, uh, proven Oof. major league starter? Yeah, it's a tough one because, you know, I, I caught a lot of flack. I'm trying to remember. I think it was like a maybe a year ago, maybe a little bit less, where I, I put out our Orioles system rankings, and I had Westberg ahead of Ortiz, and a lot of Orioles fans were not not thrilled with that. And then I think by the time we got to you know, coming into the season um, and a little bit closer, then, you know, Ortiz really started to separate himself, and, and I had him back over there. But to me, I, I've kind of found myself going a little bit back and forth because, yes, you can talk about the defensive prowess of, of Ortiz and you know what you get there at shortstop, but I've always thought that the defense with Westberg was incredibly underrated because he's able to kind of move all over the diamond. Similar to Kowser, where like, I, I think he'd hold it down at shortstop and grade out as average if they played him there every day. Like I really think he'd be fine there. I think he gets undersold defensively, but you put him at third, you put him at second, he's a solid, solid defender there. I, I do feel like Ortiz makes more sense just because of the everyday defensive ability. And we'll get to him in a second. And, and, you know, I think the bat is, is just continue to get better and better and better, but there's something about Westberg where it's like, he's 50 to 55 grades across the board in a lot of ways in his tools. And he just gets the most out of him. He's a gamer. I, I watched that guy on the Cape 
he, he was one of the final cuts from Team USA. He shows up that first day and goes deep twice. He, and I heard he like, yeah, he's not happy. He thought he should be on the team. You know, instead of just pouting, like, he, he goes there, he goes to the Cape and homers twice, and it was just a couple bombs. Like, this is a guy that, yeah, the exit velocities are above average, not plus, but he gets into it consistently. Um, the hit tool is probably average, but he doesn't seem to strike out more than the low 20%. Like it, it just seems like this guy has a feel for the game that is hard to quantify. And um, Ortiz, you can make that same argument too. So it's tough, but I do think that they need to move one of these two guys. And, you know, if I was in the clubhouse every single day and, and knew them personally, like if that's how close it is. I think I'd have it separate by that because to me that they're both really, really good talents. Um, I'd lean Ortiz, but I wouldn't be surprised if, at all if Westbrook ends up being the, the better offensive player when it's all said and done. Yeah, we've kind of said, or at least I have, that he's kind of like the infield version of Austin Hayes for the Orioles. I can mm-hmm. see that being the case. Hopefully more consistent and uh, and healthy. But, yeah, I guess I'll, since I lost connection, and that was supposed <laughs> to be my question, I'll go into the next one. Uh, speaking of Joey Ortiz, we are probably the biggest Joey Ortiz fans around, and it always seems like Orioles fans are uh, trying to put him in different uniforms when we're talking trade possibilities. <laughs> um, if he If he is moved, how bad would the Orioles regret losing his defense up the middle, plus his underrated offensive upside? I feel like his exit velocities are way higher than you would expect. Yeah, you know, that's the thing that I think people really underrate his offensive prowess. Um, you know, he's older, quote-unquote, as a just-turned-25-year-old, so I think, like, people look at, at that side of things. But he's hit, like, 340 in his last 103 uh, AAA games while slugging a decent bit, too. I don't think he's going to be a big massive home run threat because his swing is more geared for for line drives and, and hard ground balls but the exit velocities are going to allow him i think to you know sustain a high babbit like i if people will point towards babbit and say oh like he's lucky I'm like, no not not necessarily there's more context that that needs to be put into the fold here and when you have a guy that has a 90th percentile exit velocity of 106 miles an hour um yeah that he's usually going to run a pretty high babbit and he hits the line drives that he hits I think also what gets severely underrated with, with Joey Ortiz is the contact rates. I, in AAA alone, he's running a, a zone contact rate of 89%, which is borderline plus. Overall contact rate of 82, 83%, which is fantastic. Um, I, I ultimately, like again, I, I'd say I lean Ortiz as the guy to keep. And I do think that if you move him to, let's say, like the White Sox, for example, and he plays every day at shortstop, I think he hits the ground running to a degree. Even if the offense isn't totally there, you know that he's going to defend. You know he's going to be a positive war player from the jump. And then if the bat comes along, which I think it will at the big league level, again, he's similar to Kerstad where it's you can't deny the results. The chase rate's a little high. It might make a, an adjustment to the big leagues, a little bit of an acclimation process. But, I mean, there's not much of a hole to poke otherwise, other than a relatively high swing rate. And, again, how do you tell a guy that's hit over three, like around 340 – for 100 plus triple A games to swing less. Like it's hard. Uh, it's going to take adversity to kind of make that somebody like him swing less. And he needs to, to face that adversity and he hasn't really gotten a chance to do so. Before the trade last month between the Orioles and the Cardinals, we had made the point repeatedly that Cesar Prieto could probably be a, a starting second baseman for a fair number of MLB teams right now mm-hmm. and probably be an upgrade over the player that he would replace. Do you see Ortiz kind of in that mold? A hundred percent. I think I said something. I'm trying to remember what the exact number was on the podcast, but I went through like 
every team. And I think I'm trying to make the case that Joey Ortiz would be an upgrade at shortstop for about 10, 10 teams. Uh, and, and I don't say that lightly. Like I really do think that there's at least a handful of major league baseball teams right now where Joey Ortiz is a automatic upgrade at shortstop. And, and I think without a doubt, um, that was one of the, that's why at the deadline we were trying to send Ortiz everywhere too, just because I, I did not cause I didn't want him to be an Oriole. I just want to see what this kid can do because again, Everything under the hood looks great. It's one of my favorite defensive dives I've done uh, at, at the infield. Um, there's a thread I put out on Joey Ortiz in the offseason um, where you know I was kind of just digging through some of the, the defensive video. And um, it was just one of the more fun threads I've put together. Like he's he's a really special defender too. And um, I, you know, you don't get defensive run saved in triple A. You don't or you don't get those things. And I think the second he gets an opportunity to really show that. I think a lot of people are going to start to to realize how good he is. Yeah, I I just want to see him play in the majors. <laughs> like yeah. at this point, mm-hmm. hopefully it's with the Orioles. I, I'm uh, Ortiz over Westbrook, even though I love Westbrook too. But yeah, I just want to see see those highlights every day somewhere you know, on a major league field. All right, we can keep going for another hour on Joey Ortiz, and I'd be fine with that. But <laughs> let's talk about uh, completely switching gears here and talk about a teenage international star in the making here. Hopefully. In Samuel Basayo, he's really the first international, big breakout international signing since Michael Elias and Kobe Perez entered the organization. He's probably one of the biggest international signings the Orioles have ever had up to this point because we know they were just not involved in this area of the game for so long. But how good do you think this kid could be as he continues to grow and move up through the organization? Huh. Isn't that a loaded question, right? I mean, this guy, oh my gosh, what, what he's been able to do offensively. There, there's a lot of similarities to, you know, so I was looking at, there's two left-handed teenage bats that I absolutely adore in the minor leagues right now, but there's a, there's more than that, but there's two that specifically their swings just stand out to me and their adjustability. It's Samuel Basayo of the Orioles and it's Xavier Isaac with the Rays. And both of these guys, I mean, they're, they're stocky. They're, you know, they're dudes that you wouldn't expect to be as adjustable as they are. And, and that's the thing that's really impressive to me is like, you see the power, you see the thump, but these guys take their B swing sometimes where they're fooled or they're on their front foot a little bit. And, and it's almost like a one-handed finish, let's say, or, you know, it's not their best swing that they can get off and the ball is still cranked. And it's like, okay, these guys can miss and, and still, you know, put balls way out of there. Their margin for error is wider. And we're talking about a guy that's, you know, one of the youngest players at that level, having just turned 19, like a week ago. Um, and, and what he's already been able to do in settling in to the high A level, you know, the, the defensive side of things, I, I think there's potential to be able to stick there. And that's going to be kind of the question. And it's hard to project because he's a teenager and there's so much variance at the catching position. But I think that the tools are there for him to at least be an average defender. Regardless, when you have a bat that is as good as his, you know, we're talking about a 90th percentile exit velocity of 106 at 18, really now 19 years old. It's really his age 18 season. He's already popped 112 mile per hour EVs as well. Uh, It's all fields. The pull side power, I think, is already borderline plus plus. Like this guy could be an offensive monster. Uh, And even if the defense is a little behind, you know, a, a catcher, left-handed hitting catcher with massive power, uh, who's already, you know, kind of keeping the strikeout rate relatively in check. <laughs> yeah, you can really dream on this kid. Yeah. How yeah. much, what, when you see a guy like Basayo and his just offensive profile, 
let's say if he gets up to like double A, triple A, and we see that he can't cut it as a catcher. He's, he's not going to be a catcher at the big league level for whatever reason, even though a lot of the metrics and a lot of his improvements already are really positive. But let's say he can't. How much of a hit does a prospect like that take on like a, a top 100 or just in terms yeah. of prospect status? Yeah, it's, that's an excellent question mm-hmm. because, you know, I think it, it is really case by case. You know, I'm looking at like a, a Kyle Teal, let's say, um, you know, who's just drafted by the Red Sox in the first round. And he, he's a, I love the bat for Kyle Teal and I'm really high on him. But a big reason why Kyle Teal is in our top 100, and I think actually right next to Samuel Basayo, um, is that it's a well rounded game, right? The offense doesn't jump off the page, but it's solid. The defense looks like it can be, you know, solid. And, you know, I think there's a little bit more to dream on offensively in terms of where he's at and where he can be, but it's always going to be above average power at best, probably average and, and plus hits what you're dreaming on with Basayo. It's like, okay, if that guy can't catch, there's still 30 home run upside. You know, there's still the ability to walk. There's still, you know, a lot to like there with Teal. It's like, okay, if he doesn't catch and he has to move to first, which won't happen, but for the sake of argument, and he's a 275 hitter with 15 plus home runs. Like that's not a guy that I'm jumping out of my, you know, out of my chair for with Basayo. Yes. Of course it takes a hit to his profile because a catcher that's capable of hitting 30 home runs. That's Francisco Alvarez. Right. Um, so it does take a hit, but I think again, kind of comparing him to Xavier Isaac, who's a first baseman. That's a guy on our top 100 list. who I adore with just Basayo's offensive profile. I think he's a top 100 prospect just off the bat. That's cool. Yeah. I feel like the dream or the ceiling is like a Francisco Alvarez that can play catcher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, my favorite swing of the year, I think for the Orioles minors was when in Delmarva Basayo, it looked like he was just trying to fail a pitch off and it just goes sailing over the left field wall for a home run. I mean, it was just, he's got crazy power and he's only 18, 19 years old. So if Ethan Salas wasn't 17 in double A, then I'd say uh, <laughs> he was doing some remarkable things. Yeah. Are there any other, in your dives with the Orioles system, are there any other international guys that stick out to you that are like, all right, this is a dude that more people need to be paying attention to? That's a good question. It's funny because they really crushed the draft. And then IFA, it's it's a little bit of a mixed bag. You know, I I, I do like some of the guys that they've brought in recently. And, and I am interested to see more, you know, of like Braylon Tavera and you know, a little bit more of, of like Leandro Arias. But to be honest, I haven't seen a ton of the, the IFA guys. You know, I got to, I got to look at uh, yeah, Frederick Bencosme and I, I didn't see anything really, you know, too, too exciting there, but you could see a little bit of the potential. I know he was a super chief IFA guy. Um, so yeah, honestly, I, I got to do more digging. I've been so deep into the draft side of things with this ball club that um yeah, outside of Basayo, I I got to do more digging on the IFA side to be totally honest. Here's a here's a question from a listener: If Samuel Basayo is this good, would that impact how the Orioles think about extending Adley? I think I know my response, but what do you think, Arm? I I'm a big believer, and even as the the you know prospect advocate, I think I think if you ever approach things at the big league level under the assumption that a minor leaguer is going to plug in and play, I think you're setting yourself up for failure. Um, I, I, you know, again, it depends on the circumstance, right? If you're, if you want Joey Ortiz to do what Jorge Mateo is doing, I don't think you're setting yourself up for failure, but you know, if you want Samuel Basayo to be the future at the catching position, uh, taking the reins over from Adley Rutschman, 
I, I think that's a bit lofty. I, I, I don't, the good news is they have time to figure that out. Um, and the weird part with Adley is that his control, what will be up when he's 30, you know? So like, he's going to hit free agency at like 30, 31. Um, so I could see them, you know, maybe just leveraging a couple years of ARB and only extending him one or two years if he'd be willing to do that. But I'm not letting a, uh, a teenage prospect or even if he was in double a rake, I'm not letting a, a catching prospect impact my decisions at the big league level because it is so hard to find good catchers. I get it. It is so, so hard. Even big league guys, like you sign a big league guy, they fall off a cliff. Like catching the catching position is so hard. If you have it, hold on for dear life. Yeah. And you I feel make like a, worst they case, do. they can just split the catcher position, right? Is that that hard? You, you save not, their legs? hundred <laughs> yeah. percent. Are you talking about extensions? I mean, we need to put that quote out there outside of Camden oh, Yards because, no. you know, we're talking about extensions. We get into the Angelos co- uh, discussion <laughs> here, but we, we know Adley. <laughs> Sorry to derail yeah. that. We'll go back to fun prospects. Yeah, I need to keep my uh, ticket prices where they are, please, and thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. What's next? Um, I'm not sure there could be a more obvious trade piece than Connor Norby right now, considering just who's in front of him, not just on this list, but the Orioles' major league roster with Gunner and – and, and all that, despite being a top three to five prospect, maybe if he's in some other organizations, I mean, he's still, I still love his potential, but I, I don't see him surviving this off season. Is, is he an immediate plug and play guy at the major league level for a rebuilding team this winter? Yeah, probably. And, and I think that's a guy that, you know, I think he'll perform. I think he's, he's a solid player, but I don't think it's the level of like Joey Ortiz where you could regret it for, you know, for a long time. I think Norby, uh, that was another guy. I, I loved the the Orioles draft so much that year with Kowser and Norby that I was buying every single uh, uh, Orioles draft spot in any box break I could find yes. for sports cards, <laughs> just going after those two. And I have a, a ridiculous amount of, there's one on the floor right there I could go pick up of a Colton Kowser card and, and Connor Norby cards. But, um, you know, another guy, you know, East Carolina, these guys come out and they know how to hit, uh, especially they, they do the, the no stride with two strikes and, you know, it doesn't work for everybody, but for the guys it works for, you know, they, they're able to really hedge the swing and miss. And I think Norby does that. He, his exit velocities are, are relatively average. Um, but the thing is he gets into it and thank you, Mark, he gets into it, uh, you know, by being able to lift consistently and his above average field to hit. But again, like I, I think his, his floor is regular, or, you know, slightly below that. And then the ceiling is above average regular. So like, I think that's the perfect trade chip. He might be a good big leaguer. I don't think you lose sleep over it. And if it gets you what you need, I think there's a lot of teams that are going to be lining up for a, a Connor and Orby type, because like you said, you can just plug and play him. I don't think he has much else to prove in AAA either. He kind of already faced his adversity early in the year. He's already settled in. Like, I, I don't think there's much more that needs to be seen from him. Looking at, um, your top 100 list, none of the Orioles pitchers are ranked um, inside the top 100. And although there really is not a slam dunk top 100 prospect in the system now that Grayson Rodriguez has graduated, we kind of feel like from a depth perspective, the Orioles are in solid shape, even if there's not that clear cut possible top of the rotation arm in the farm system right now. So when you look at the Orioles system at this point, what do you see on the pitching side? I think they've done a phenomenal job of addressing the pitching situation kind of uh, passively, for lack of a better word. Like, and, you know, t- t- there's they didn't take a pitcher in the first round. You know, they didn't you know make a blockbuster trade. 
but they go and snag Cade Povich from the Twins. You know, they they go and get Seth Johnson, who you know I think is often forgotten in, in the shuffle as it, you know as he comes back from Tommy John, who I actually love. I think he could be as good as anybody. They go and get a Seth Johnson, you know, in, in a larger deal that where a lot of players get shuffled around. And I think people forget that Seth Johnson might have been one of the best prospects moved in that deal. Um, you know, I, I think they've done a good job of of kind of you know adding here and there. They also get a Chase McDermott in that deal, who you know when he's on, man, like. It's funny. I, I think there's there's certain players that are like very much the Spider-Man meme, right? Where like they, they look like the same version of each other, but for some reason one gets elevated and the other doesn't. I think Chase McDermott and Griff McGarry couldn't be more similar. Yet Griff McGarry, you know, gets this top 100 consideration, and and Chase McDermott doesn't. You know, I've watched this guy shove very recently. I mean, and the fastball is ridiculous. Uh, the, the breaking ball when it's around the zone is really good, and it's always about being around the zone. Cade Povich, guy that we had on the show as well. I love Cade Povich, the guy. I like Cade Povich, the pitcher, a lot too. And I think that's a guy that just missed the top 100. Like he had a he had a legitimate case. Um, and and I think with a little bit better performance over the last you know couple weeks, he could have snuck his way in there. But when when it, when he's on, I mean, from that left-handed release point uh, with, with the three pitches that he really boasts, he's still trying to find that feel for the changeup a little bit more, but, but the fastball, the cutter, the curveball, like it, it's a pretty impressive mix and he can really, he can really get rolling there and start punching guys out in droves. Um, I think Povich is, is easily a top 100 caliber arm. And we've seen that through stretches this year. It's just been the consistency for him. Um, but I, I'm excited about Povich as well. I, I think the pitching, you know, overall, they could probably use a couple more arms. I think getting Kyle Bronovich back is is exciting as well. I know he hasn't been great in double, but I still have some some hopes for him. Um, I, I do think that this pitching can kind of come together a little bit, you know, as as they continue to blossom. And I don't think it's you know bad by any means. Like you said, I think it's underrated an underrated aspect of this of this system. Looking at COVID, yeah, and- you just mentioned some of the inconsistencies we've seen this year, which I think have been apparent from start to start what, if anything, do you think that speaks to what he needs to do in terms of improvement? Yeah. You know, I, I think it's a little bit of repeat in the delivery with him. And, and he talked about that a bit and um, you know, the, the fastball and that, you know, a cutter slider that he throws it's, I think it's more grades out as a cutter, but yeah, those two pitches for him, like, I think it's pretty much been automatic. Like it's that same release point. He throws a cutter kind of like, a, like a fastball and he's able to repeat that. But when you get to the change up and the curveball and the slider, it's not totally there for him. And I I really think that's it because, you know, when you've got the fastball and that cutter, like that'll help you, uh, I think up to a point. And then you get to the second, third time through the lineup and and guys make that adjustment. I think that's kind of what we saw. And also it can make them a little bit susceptible to splits, um, you know, where, where righties have, you know, caught some, some pitches over the middle and, and, and hit them pretty hard over his last 10 starts where, you know, lefties, I think he's been able to, you know, kind of keep the ball in the yard a bit more and be a bit more effective. But, you know, I, I think it's a little bit of that, you know, hanging the breaking balls and we've seen him kind of get burned by the long ball a bit of late. And then, you know, that, that sequencing of having the confidence with the changeup, the curveball, and, and even that slider. Um, Cause again, when those pitches are there, I mean, he just keeps you off balance all day long. And again, I think the fastball is super underrated, but at points he gets a little too reliant on that when, when the command of the secondaries isn't there. So I think once he gets those those third and fourth pitches rolling for him a little bit more, uh, I, I think we'll see a lot more of those eight, nine, ten K outings. And you know he's he's a, he's another one of those guys. The Orioles target them really well. Smart dude knows what he needs to do. Leans on the staff really well, and, and I think he's going to continue to put it together. 
Yeah, I'm not saying that he's Max Fried, but Max Fried had like a 5.8 ERA the year before he made his major league debut. I feel like lefties sometimes it it takes a little bit longer to find that consistent release point. As a hundred percent, and 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 I think when when you're a guy that you know again it's it's hard and harder right now with it with the cutter and the fastball being his two best pitches, you're susceptible to the long ball. And I really think if there's one number one thing I can pinpoint, it's the long ball, and that's something that I think is relatively easy for a pitcher that, you know, has the field of pitch that Povich has flashed to be able to, you know, kind of keep the ball in the yard a bit more. And, you know, in the big leagues, he doesn't have to worry about that left field side of things too much. So, um, you know, I, I think that's something that he'll start to hone in on a little bit. Cause again, it's not like he's given up a ton of hits. It's, I think it's more just a few too many walks here and there. And then, you know, a couple swings burning him, you know, and that's really it. One more pitching question I had, um, what do you make of a pop-up guy like Alex Pham, who last year was just like a bullpen arm for low A and high A, and now he's in double A starting games, and he's like on the top in the teens or early 20s for some top 30 prospects list and seems to be on the rise. And then there's some international guys like Luis De Leon who come out of nowhere. Any, uh, any info on them? Yeah, Pham's interesting because, you know, this is a dude that he's like – Five, what is he? Five ten, um, you know, unique release point, and and just seems to to deceptively get that fastball in on guys. Another cutter guy that just seems to tie dudes up, and then the curveball has been effective for him. Yeah, I, he's tried to mix in a splitter, I, and I don't know, you know, I don't know how much of a factor that's going to be for him because it just hasn't been there for him so far this year. But I think there's a world where he plays his way into a swingman type of role, and I think it's been pretty exciting to see what he's been able to do uh, of late and be able to kind of fill in in these. You know, he's had some good five inning starts, but he's also had some some spots where, you know, I think you you look at the command and you wonder like where where it could be if it all comes together. I think he's already had what a couple a couple outings with 10 plus K's when it's all there. Um, So you see the flashes of it. Uh, I'm excited to see more. That's a guy I want to see kind of challenge a little bit more in triple A. But the cutter and the curveball are both both interesting to me. And I think pitches that, you know, with that three pitch mix and a fastball from a low release point that kind of takes off a little bit. You might have a little bit here with with a swingman type. Love it. Um, more exciting than than drafting. You talk about the Orioles drafts last couple of years, but not only hitting those early draft picks, but now the Orioles hopefully are not picking so early in in the first round <laughs> of drafts anymore. And so it's all about you know player development and building up these guys that you can find in the later back half of the first round. Right. And with that being said, Enrique Bradfield Jr. was the Orioles what 16, 17th pick this year in the first round. What are your thoughts on Enrique Bradfield, and in particular now that he is under the Orioles' tutelage? Yeah, I mean that's that's the big thing. Um, this is a guy that I think needs needs some adjustments, uh, and you know, in the wrong situation, you know, if the Marlins drafted him, I would have been concerned. Um, <laughs> but now you send him to to the Orioles, who, who I think are very forward thinking with their hitting development. From the guys I've talked to in the organization, feel as though you know. Th- they get more out of them and help them kind of understand how to lean into their strengths and, you know, hedge their weaknesses. And the thing with Bradfield is he has some things he can't teach. He's got, you know, fantastic bat to ball skills. He ran one of the lowest chase rates you're going to find, you know, at the, at, at the collegiate level. Um, but it, there's no way around it. It was an extremely disappointing junior season for him. And that's the only reason why the Baltimore Orioles had any shot at drafting him. So if you look at it from this perspective, if he has a great, if he has a junior year, that we were expecting him to have Orioles don't sniff, you know, even a chance to draft him. That player I think is still there. 
and, you know, that, that guy is still there. The exit velocities were, were below what I thought they would be. But then you look at his frame and you're like, okay, there's a lot more projection there. There's a lot more, you know, strength to be added. And then you look at the speed and you look at the bats of ball skills. And so far professionally, I mean, the guy's barely swung and missed. I know like, the only times he's really struck out is because he's gotten the deep counts at, at, in low A where, you know, I've seen the same thing happen to Dylan Cruz. Like he gets rung up on a pitch and it's like you get penalized for knowing the strike zone better than the umpire. I, I, I don't take much of uh, you know, I don't pay much attention to, to the low A punch outs, but you know, this is a guy that has been a machine so far in the early going. And, and I want to see him hit the ball in the air more. Like there's some Justin Crawford similarities right now where it's like, again, there needs to be some tweaks to the swing because you know, you're going to get away with a 70% ground ball rate in low a, you know, with, with worse defenders and you know, you're, you're going to beat stuff out with that kind of speed. I think, you know, this is something that'll probably have to happen in the off season, but I do think he needs to have a little bit of a swing adjustment. Um, I think at times he gets a little crowded um, ball gets on him a little quick and, uh, with the right tweaks, though, I, I, this guy could be really special. And I think they drafted somebody that already pretty much has the four of a fourth outfielder, given what he can do defensively, how well he can run. And then you see what he's capable of if it all clicks offensively. And you can understand why why the Orioles you know, felt like he could be a steal where they took him. Um, this is going to be a good test for the hitting development, though, because I, I, I do think he's you know far from a finished product. But there's so much to dream on here that I, I think you can get really excited about it. Yeah, for sure. Um, my last question is, if you had to predict who the next wave of Orioles prospects to start entering top 100 lists are, if there are any, who would they be? Who's the 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 couple handful maybe that are just right below there with some Ooh. development could uh, could make their way? So, you know, I think that the easy answer for a lot of people would be Judd Fabian, you know, and I, I think you can understand why. But one of my, it, it's, it's really, it never fails. And I, I have like, I have notes to, to back it. So people don't think that it's like uh, retroactively like, Oh, I like this guy. Cause the Orioles picked him. Uh, it seems like every single time I really like a college bat, the Orioles take him. Bradfield wasn't a guy that I was, you know, jumping out of my chair for, I'll be honest. But you know, now that the Orioles have him, I'm a little bit more excited. So that's the other side of the coin, but Mac Horvath for me, I thought was one of the more underrated bats in the entire draft. Like I was, trying to make my case for him to be, you know, an underslot candidate in the back end of the first round or even in the compensation round, but it just didn't seem like he was going to get that kind of helium. Um, I, I think Horvath has a great chance of, of really impressing uh, as he gets rolling here and gets the opportunity to, you know, potentially hit his way onto some top 100 lists. Again, I think Judd, you know, has that case because of the power, because of the approach, because of the ability to play a good center field. But but don't sleep on Matt Horvath. I mean, this is somebody that I think has a lot of offensive upside, uh, good power, good field to hit. Another dude that just runs a really low chase rate, and, and I think could be a really fun player who can play multiple positions. He can kind of play all over all over the map. Um, so I, I'm I'm really excited about Horvath and excited to see a full year from him. Seth Johnson's a guy that's probably not going to get on top 100 list just because he's older. Um, but I appreciate that note. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Uh, Seth Johnson's a guy that I, I don't think will get top 100 consideration, but he's somebody that I think by the time he gets to the big leagues could pitch like a top 100 caliber arm in terms of data. Like he's a data darling. The fastball uh, has crazy carry. Uh, the breaking ball is nasty. Uh, we, we saw flashes before he got hurt where it was like, this guy has top 100, you know, potential. And then of course just goes down at the worst possible time. I think this is a guy that could end up being 
a really, really, really awesome option for them. And and by the way, he threw two days ago, um, finally kind of working his way back at the complex, 19 pitches, average 96 with the fastball. Um, so that velocity is all the way back. Um, that's what he was sitting prior to the injury. I mean, his last start before going down in Bowling Green or for Bowling Green at Greensboro, five innings, 11 punch outs, and he goes down with the injury. This dude's nasty. Uh, and, and I think that there's, I think it's easy to forget because he was kind of one of the main, many pieces in a trade and he's been hurt, you know, and, and all that good stuff. But in a vacuum, the, this stuff is as good as, as they come in the system. Uh, and, and I think Seth Johnson's a guy that could be a top 100 caliber arm. Oh, yeah, thank you, excited. Buck. <laughs> um, we're excited to see Johnson out there. Uh, you know, we know he's coming back from Tommy John surgery and you have that, you know, progression he's going to have to undergo. But realistically, when do you really think that the Orioles are able to turn it loose with him? We start to see that top 100 potential out there on the mound. Yeah, you know, I think that's a great question because, you know, I, I always think it's interesting to see how teams handle their arms. It seems like it's always different case by case. Um, I don't know if he would be a candidate that, you know, could go to the Arizona Fall League or if they really want to take their time with him. Um, but I would love to see him, you know, throw a little bit more and, and get that opportunity. If not, you know, the, this is a dude that – and I think he will. He'll get some sort of work in a game action, whether it's like a winter league or whether it's, uh, you know, whether it's the fall league or something like that uh, to, to kind of build up a little bit and throw his bullpens and, and get right. And I think he'll be close to, you know, full bore early in the season and get rolling here uh, where, you know, I think you, you could start him in double a next year and, and just really get him going and, and see how fast he can climb. Uh, I have the, the, some of the numbers, by the way, he averaged 20 inches of induced vertical break on the fastball in 2022 from a pretty low release point. Um, so, I mean, that that that's a pitch that's just going to absolutely play and blow hitters up. 2,500 RPMs just jumps, and it's mid-90s mid to high-90s, and then that slider off of it. I Again, I, this is probably one of my favorite guys that nobody's talking about, and I think he'll be ready to go full bore um, you know, going into next season, which is going to be a lot of fun. Um, so it sucks that we didn't really get to see much of him this year. You know, I think we'll get a couple outings maybe um, as he as he eases back, but then it, he'll be able to really be cut loose next year. And and I think he's quickly going to become one of the best, if not the best, pitching prospect in this in this system. Sounds like that fastball belongs in Seattle. Uh, they they <laughs> love their elite fastballs. Oh yeah. But uh, what about Dylan Beavers? That's uh, the last guy I think that maybe could. I mean, he really exploded in July. Got promoted to Double A and. And he's been hitting pretty well there as well. I know yeah. he's kind of a – he's got some work to do, but could he get there? Yeah, you know, I, I do think Beavers is a candidate there. And, and and honestly, that's a guy that I probably overlook a little bit because I caught him early in the year. And I'll be honest, like my in-person look like just wasn't great early in the year. Um, and it was with this Oriole system, you know, sometimes it's kind of easy to, you know, kind of overlook some guys and I I've entirely overlooked Dylan Beavers until recently when I started looking at some of the numbers and I'm like, okay, this guy, something clicked here. And so is the case often with six, four left-handed hitters who, you know, I, I think kind of got thrown into the fire a little bit and, and, and got challenged on a different level. And, and, you know, some guys it takes a little bit more time, but you look at the chase rates, you'll get the contact rates. And now, you know, the power that he's able to get into pull side, I was wondering how much power would be there. And, and that was a question for me. And now I'm seeing 
above average power to the pull side. I'm seeing the ability to get on base. I'm seeing, you know, above average contact rates. And all of a sudden it's starting to come together. He's definitely made some tweaks with the swing. And again, I think it's an example of, of what the Orioles are able to do because it does look a lot better than it looked early in the season. And you mentioned he has some work to do. And I think he's already doing that. And the, the thing that stands out the most to me is, is he hits the ball in the air with consistency. And usually guys with long levers like that, you know, they'll struggle to do that in the early stages of their professional career. And it was a little bit of an issue. And then all of a sudden he really is starting to leverage himself a lot better. And um, you would combine good swing decisions with the ability to hit the ball in the air and, you know, sneaky pull side power. And this is definitely a guy that could sneak his way into top 100 list as well. We'll go back to Arm in just one minute, but we're going to wrap up our show by acknowledging uh, some players outside of our top 30 for something they've done recently, whether it's been a good game, a good week, or just something interesting. And the stat line that we want to point out, and I'm going to start with Nick, who has a 2023 draftee as his hitter this week. Yeah, I just want to shout out Jake Cunningham real quick because he made his uh, debut today. Actually, I was shocked we got Jake Cunningham and Cole Ehrman was it? 15th or 16th round pick this year, uh, made it their FCL debuts despite the FCL season, I think, ending tomorrow, uh, which is unbelievable that we're already nearing the end of like minor leagues here. But uh, Cunningham had a pretty good debut down there. I think he had, what, two hits and a walk. Uh, so good to see Cunningham. And uh, I've already put the, the nickname out there, two for four, RBI. Sorry. Uh, from Brad Selick, you know, call him the tool shed. So if we just want to keep that Jake the tool shed Cunningham uh, moniker going, uh, I think that'd be great. Uh, but, yeah, and then Wanderson Charles, another guy I just wanted to shout out real quick because it looked like after he got promoted to AAA that we saw, like, 2022, Wanderson Charles sneak back. Uh, but his last three outings, he's pitched four innings, no hits, no runs, just one walk, uh, only three strikeouts. But, um, yeah, the lack of walks and hits allowed is pretty fun to see. So, hopefully, maybe they figure something out with Charles there. So, just wanted to uh, shout him out there in this uh, final segment. He had a, a really solid week there, there for Murphy. Yeah, I'm excited Cunningham's getting into action. I thought maybe he was going to be a guy that just didn't get into games until next year for whatever reason. But my my hitter is going to be Elio Prado, who had a pretty strong season in, in low A Delmarva before he got promoted to Aberdeen. And then just it was like 0 for 22 to start and just was like super ice cold for the first month or so he was in high A. I guess it's a bigger jump these days to go from low A to high A, but... Since July 26th, he's batting 306 with an 825 OPS and 127 WRC plus, only striking out 16 and a half percent of the time. So, just wanted to to shout him out. And he's been in this organization since 2019 with the Andrew Kashner trade, and he's still only 21. So that's hard to believe, but he's he's turning things around there. And for my pitcher, I want to just shout out Nolan Hoffman who was promoted to AAA uh, this past week and pitched two scoreless innings for Norfolk after putting up a 3.22 ERA uh, for AA Bowie over 36 and a third innings, 3.14 FIP. So seems like it's pretty legit. Only getting 50.5% ground balls when last year he was getting closer to 65 to 75%. So, you know, could could do a little bit better there. But uh, yeah, just another decent relief arm that is going to be an option next year at some point. Good choices. I had a chance to see Delmarva play in their series finale on Sunday. And the guy that stood out the most was their pitcher, Edgar Portes, who delivered four shutout innings, allowing just one hit while striking out eight with a walk. And that was a special outing for Portes because it will be his last with the Swordbirds, as Steve Molesky reported on Sunday night, that 
Portez will be promoted to high A Aberdeen this week. And it closes out a very good run at Del Marvin with the 20 year old right hander struck out 106 batters while walking 35 over 80 and two thirds innings pitch. And then sticking with Swerberg for my hitter, Jalen Vasquez continues to put together a really nice uh, debut summer. Last week in four games, he went four for 13 at the plate with three walks and an RBI. So far, with the short, so far overall since being drafted, small sample size, but hitting 300 with an 821 OPS. Most of that action coming at Del Marva. Good stuff. That, that 20th round draft picks, I, I think, are like always seem to be this like, trending Craig last year, this year, Jalen Vasquez. Guys that I think they're going to take some time, but definitely guys to uh, not overlook here in the system. Yeah, absolutely. And Aram, thank you so much for joining us tonight and giving us your perspective on not just the eight Orioles that made uh, Just Baseball's top nine prospect list, but on the system as a whole. Uh, thanks for having me on. A lot of great questions and uh, really appreciate the work you guys do to cover such a uh, such a vast system. So judged by the comments tonight, a lot of our listeners know where to find you and they listen <laughs> to your show pretty regularly. But for listeners who uh, maybe haven't had a chance to tune in yet, uh, kind of give us a rundown on what you cover on your shows and what you're going to be working on here in the next few weeks for Just Baseball. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that. So we, we have, you know, on the prospect side, we have the call up, which is, you know, our prospect podcast where uh, right now we're breaking down the entire top 100 and we've got two more episodes going from 40 to 21 and then 20 to one uh, with Jackson Holiday, of course, at the end. But uh, also a lot of prospect interviews, as we mentioned, you know, we have had Kate Povich, Kobe Mayo, just had Jackson Job, and, you know, a lot of guys throughout the offseason. Uh, and kind of keep you briefed on everything going on there. And then the Just Baseball Show, of course, is our flag, flagship podcast covering the entire league. And we have Walker Bueller on every Monday, and uh, it's it's every single weekday, which has been a lot of fun there. Um, team top prospect list will be coming out the entire offseason, so you can check that out at JustBaseball.com. Uh, and, yeah, that's that's everything we got and, and, and a lot more things going on in the works. So excited about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we will be back on the air next week. Uh, in the meantime, check us out on Twitter or X at BSL on the Birds. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. And just want to mention again that on Monday, October 2nd, we will be doing a live show at Checker Spot Brewing at the new location on Ridley Street, not far from Camden Yards. We'll have more details on that between now and early October. But we are starting to promote that through our social media feeds. Thank you again to Arm Layton for Just Baseball. For joining us tonight, for Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On the Birds. That'll do it for this week's episode of On the Verge. Be sure to check out our Patreon page where you can help show your support for the show and get bonus content, including monthly top 50 updates to our prospect list and daily game recaps during the season and much, much more. This summer, you need clothes that you can wear anywhere. For that, look to American Giant t-shirts, shorts, jeans, and sweatshirts. American Giant makes everything in the USA, so when you buy, you create jobs and improve local communities all across the country. Shop summertime closet staples at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your order when you use code WA23 at checkout. That's 20% off at American-Giant.com with promo code WA23. 
Well, well, well. Shopping for a car? Yep. Carvana made financing a car as smooth as can be. Oh, yeah? I got pre-qualified instantly and had real terms personalized just for me. Hmm. Doesn't get much smoother than that. Well, I got to browse thousands of car options on Carvana, all within my budget. Doesn't get much smoother than that. It does. I actually wanted a car that seemed out of my range, but I was able to add a cosigner and found my dream car. It doesn't get much... Oh, it gets smoother. It's getting delivered tomorrow. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get pre-qualified today.